0: Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world.
1: Personalities, history, and all the stories.
0: We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory.
1: Welcome in everybody. It is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabe Miller sitting here with Chris Goff. Chris, welcome in. We have an exciting podcast today. We'll talk about our guests
2: in just a minute. But Chris, how is how has the last couple weeks been treating you? Oh, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, I got to be honest, our our guest today is one that uh, I've looked forward to for a while. I do want to thank Gil Rogers for the assist on this. Yes. He did hook me up with with this guy in a long, uh, indirect way. But anyway, uh, our guest is going to be one of our most flamboyant guests we ever have. And I wish that he was a guest on here every week because I could probably talk with this guy for many, many hours. Uh, And I'm looking for, I have have sent this interview to multiple people around the world that I knew would really enjoy the raw cut of it. And uh, they have. So I'm looking forward to everyone hearing it.
1: Uh, Oh, it's, I, you know, pulling the veil back a little bit. Usually when you do these interviews, because our schedules don't line up, I usually just throw to the interview and then I'll listen to it as you produce it and all that kind of stuff. I listened to this interview because you asked me to before um, we went on here and Holy, I there is not enough words in the English dictionary that can encompass exactly what this gentleman talks about, um, the way he talks about it. It is the best interview. I and and you've done a lot of really great interviews. But I I gotta say, even you, I think were taken aback a little bit a couple of oh, yeah. times during the interview. You were just like, wow, this is. This is flying off the rails a little bit. So but, I
2: don't know, you know. why we're – I don't know why I'm k Yeah, I don't know why, why we're k title, But uh, I wanted to give him a majestic – I'm using that word a lot today – a majestic <laughs> introduction. But his we're talking about Rip Rogers. And Rip, Rip Rogers only oh. wrestled in the Central States for – in 1987. I, he talks about how he, he had a, some matches in 83, but 87 is when he was here full-time in the Central States. And, uh, you know, of course, that's an era that is not talked about a lot because those are the dying days of, dying the, era, days. of the area. But uh, I mean, I'm telling you what, Rip Rogers, uh, you know, I've seen shoot interviews with him and I've never met the man. I talked to him on a on a call. We set this up. Uh when I called him, he just started going as soon as I started uh, on the phone with him. And then I explained to him, like, okay, well, let's uh, let's get started. And he's like, Well, why didn't you just record this? I mean, I've been talking for a long time, you know, and he and uh and he's just that kind of guy. He really doesn't care um right. what people think about him. Nope. And as you as you will find out, he is the most real, most over guy you'll ever meet in your life. And he'll tell you that. And I'll, I'll tell you what, Rip Rogers was a character. I wish I knew him before I met him because he would, uh, I, I'd just be loving to sit and hear stories from him all day long. But he has thoughts on, definitely has some strong thoughts on Central States, but also has strong thoughts on today's product. And you can imagine what those are.
1: Yeah. And uh, you you know, I think if you've been in quote unquote inside the wrestling bubble for any extended period of time, there's a, and you bring this up in the interview, so I won't go too deep into it, but Rip Rogers, not only is he known for his Twitter presence, boy, that's a follow, Uh but he is one of the best trainers. I I mean, if you know anything about a lot of the people that have made it quote unquote, Rip Rogers had a hand in training him. And so Rip Rogers is definitely one of those guys that has been around the business forever, seen it, done it. And I love the way he describes his training, (laughs) how he trains people. It's wonderful in this interview, but Rip is responsible for, for a lot of uh,
2: superstars. He is. I mean, if you really think about it, who are the trainers of the last, like, let's say, since the attitude era on. You had Dr. Tom Pritchard, who we talk about as well, who I consider, he's a personal friend of mine, and I consider him to be the trainer of the stars, because not only is he a great trainer, and as Rip says, he can explain everything perfectly to guys. I mean, he started off as a fan, as a photographer, like many guys did in his era, and then became a wrestler, then trainer, Uh, but he had to deal with the... The, you know the growing huge business of wwf wwe and he had to live within that that corporate life for a long time and i give him tons of credit just for that but then you have rip rogers who was down in obw who of course was the feeding ground uh, sort of after tom pritchard right and uh and that was and so and then you got bill Demott. i mean there's not there's not a ton of like singular names like even the power plant there wasn't you know there was there was there was the sergeant was sarge but uh, there was there's not a ton of guys, and Rip Rogers is always put over by the most revered people yep. in wrestling. So uh, yeah, and I, he obviously loves Doctor Tom, and I'm sure if I called Doctor Tom, he would tell me a lot of great stories about Rip Rogers. <laughs> but um, I, I, I really will say, tr- <laughs> I will say this: I wanted to let everybody know right now if you have this if you have this interview playing in a workplace or around small children <laughs> um, that you don't want to hear. Uh, sexual exploits and uh, cursing then I suggest and I try to put this in the in the notes when I you know post that these actual shows not suitable for children. If there's a lot of cursing or whatever, but this is definitely not one you want to play around them. I just make sure that you do not have it around them. If you don't want them to hear this.
1: I have not, ne- I've never heard the F word so many times in a 35, 40 minutes span. Freaking
2: Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci of cursing. I mean, this guy, this guy could take the F word. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I fancy myself as a, a fantastic cursor. And <laughs> right. I took a lesson from him in Rip Rogers cursing school and, uh, man, I I think we all learned a lot on this show.
1: Oh, man, I can't wait to get to the interview. But before we do, let's talk about a few news and notes. So coming out in the last couple of weeks, we have the big, wide-eyed Tony Khan announcement. Mm-hmm. Can't stand when he makes an announcement, Chris, because his eyes are really wide.
2: And another I, another huge announcement. It's been another week, so let's have a hey. The the ratings went down a hundred grand uh, the, in viewers. So let's uh, let's have a major announcement.
1: And then, uh, but I'm so glad it wasn't in front of people because when he's in front of people, he gets even more amped, mm-hmm. and uh, his his eyes are really wide, and he's just like, hey, and he gets nervous. And, but anyways, so they make the announcement that they are going to run a show for the first time, I believe, in what thirty one years, Chris um in Wembley Stadium
2: yeah I mean it's an it's uh yeah it was 92 it I mean is that That it it?
1: yeah wow
2: yeah um and 92 obviously SummerSlam 92 one of my good friends that's his favorite pay-per-view I think just because it was in a different country and the majesty and there were some really good matches and moments in that show Um, great matches and moments you know I we know that Tony Khan is an old school fan and obviously running Wembley and his connections with the uh with you know the sports leagues over there you know soccer uh, yeah, he's going to have connections to get a maybe a good rate on that building so hey it's a cool thing to say that you that you did i think it's an uh, you know i did, tony khan has some he has the the means and the money to do some cool stuff at, at the very least now the execution may not be what people want but uh, he can do some cool things and this will be cool but as we were just talking gabe like and a lot of people are, what is going to be put on paper that is going to be a huge draw in Wembley Stadium? You know, let's let's take out all the outsiders right now that are not, not working currently. I mean, if you just take the roster you have right now, Gabe, and you're like, okay, let's put a card together of, of people that are currently on the staff that are no one that's suspended or anything like that. Okay. Uh, who? What is, a, what is a match that you think could do well there? Like
1: draw a big house?
2: What is the main event of a Wembley Stadium where you're hoping to draw? I don't know, fifty plus thousand people. I mean, you know, I've heard, I've heard, obviously, uh, MJF versus blank. You know, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard MJF versus Goldberg. I've heard, uh, you know, of course, we we we'll talk about all the punk stuff in a minute, but I mean, if you just had to go off, you know, people that are currently on the show. That's not a special person. I guess what I'm getting at is, don't they need like a special person to pop? I was, just, I,
1: I was just about to say to your point. I'm literally racking my brain, and there is not a, uh, so so I I'm gonna double in this. There's not a match I can think of of current active stars that would draw a really big house. However, because of the venue, because of the history, because of the United Kingdom. Do they need that big name to draw? Because apparently already with no matches announced, they've had inquiry on 50,000 tickets. So are they going to rest on their laurels? I mean, obviously you're right, Chris. We should bring, I mean, I think Goldberg is whatever, but you should bring in something. It should be bigger than life. This whole card should be stacked from top to bottom with the best representation of AEW. Right. But is he going to do that?
2: I don't know. I I, I don't know. Like, uh, no, you're right. The, just the, um, you know, just the candidness of having the show there and having that kind of crowd, having a UK crowd, you know, the old story was when I worked at WWE, obviously if, if it's the business is down in the United States, go across the pond and you'll start drawing well. And that's what Vince did a ton back then. He always had British Bulldog to put on the top of the card. Now, like who else? You know, they don't really have a super well-known British guy like the the Bulldog back in the day that would be able to do that. Um, so, you know, at this point, uh, you're right. Just just the gimmick of having it in England in Wem- Wembley Stadium is enough to put in. I mean, there'll be people in England that want to see a show. So, there's going to be people there. But what are they going to put? It's a pay per view. It's all in. So, what are they going to put to make? it a memorable show for anyone that's not actually there just to see a show for the first time in England in 32 years or whatever i don't know like so, like njf uh, would have to be it i mean the, i you know i I would assume uh, jericho or the evps would put themselves in a position at the top so uh i guess one of the one of the things was uh what osprey versus uh kenny omega yeah that's
1: that's exactly what i was about to say i was like that's the only match i can think of where they could put it on because of the renown from their new Japan show and Osprey being a hometown guy, that is a really good call. But it again, it's not like it's not gonna it's not gonna sell out Wembley, you know, but do, do they need to? I mean, it's it's kind of sad because he could just flub this show. And it's going to get all this publicity because, again, of where it is and everything. So maybe the pressure really isn't on him to bring someone like Punk back. I mean, because obviously – so we'll get into it now. Obviously, the the choice, the soup du jour, I think at least at the top of the card, would have to either involve the EVPs and Punk in some regard.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you know, I've been playing around with, with my friends saying, um, you know, it should be <laughs> – it should be punk a returning ace steel and ftr versus the bucks omega and i don't know to throw somebody else in there nakagawa or whatever yeah somebody somebody yeah. that they would consider a good friend that they want in that spot but not brandon Cutler, but somebody else yeah. uh but uh, you know i mean that would be a huge match for yes. a one off I mean, let's face it. AEW is known for their one-offs, or even if they actually build somebody to a point, then it's immediately dropped. So everything with AEW begins becomes uh, let's just do a crazy, like just uh, fantasy booking, and like let's book some like one-off match, you know, that has really no build or anything, but has uh, you know everything for the crazy fans. They want to see this never-before-seen match or whatever or maybe a match that's been seen before, but not on quite the stage. I don't know. Um, The punk, the punk thing makes sense. I don't know how much uh, smoke there is, uh, how much fire there is with the smoke from CM Punk wanting to come back. You start hearing these rumors that he's talking with Tony. He's willing to work with anybody. You know, Jericho says he wants to work with punk. I'm sure he does. Uh, And then, you know, then uh, Dave starts sort of, detracting from punk coming back a little bit saying like how he must apologize and all this stuff so then of course you're like well if dave is writing that there obviously has to be more fire to this because you know he's not gonna he's not gonna really be so negative about it if you didn't think it was a good possibility which i don't know why it shouldn't be because any businessman can look at it and be like well, i'm paying this guy i know you guys hate him but i'm paying this guy like seven figures to do nothing so this would be a really good time for him to come right you know so i mean
1: knows. but 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 i mean to to that point though that would mean the evps because there's all ego involved in this let's let's just sure let's has call a spade beginning. a spade punk has an ego if you're in this business and you're one of the top guys you have an ego i don't care who you are i don't care how real you are yeah everyone's got ego to some degree right Sure. So for the EVPs to look at Tony Khan and say, he's the one that can help us draw the amount that we need to fill Wembley, because he is, he's that big of a name, they would have to admit that Punk is that big of a draw. And I don't, I think that hurts more to them than the, than the uh, potential backstage altercations. And it's because you have to take yourself down a peg and Omega has to admit that he can't draw that crowd the way Punk could. I mean, putting punk in that card is going to be the difference. I believe between 10 to 20,000 tickets and, and depending on where they put. Yeah. I mean,
2: you're talking, you're talking about punk, uh, has not been on TV now for a while. It hasn't been in England for God knows how many years. Right? I mean, it's, I'm sure he was on loops, obviously, back in the early 2010s. So I'm sure he was there. But we're talking at least probably a decade since he's been to England to wrestle in a pro wrestling match. So, uh, you know, that that in itself is huge. Um, You know, look, I've gone over this a million times with my friends just talking about scenarios. Like, what is Punk going to do if he comes back? Let's say that Tony Khan's like, okay, everyone play nice. Uh, Punk's coming back. Maybe he makes the rule that they have an angle out of this or they don't. Me, personally, I think they've botched this so poorly. Like, the WWE would have done – the WWE, especially when Vince was in his prime like 20 years ago, he would have gotten pissed off at everyone involved that they had A fight or something but he would have turned it into a shoot angle on tv he would have had punk even if punk was torn you know torn muscle he would still be on television uh doing promos from his house cutting promos saying how he's great or horrible what whichever way whoever you want to name the babyface heel in this scenario yeah it's going to be split depending on your age and what you like anyway but uh i i just think that uh they've they've lost all the momentum with that with to the mainstream Uh, you know, all of us that pay attention to all the backstage stuff, we of course know what's going on and we think it would be cool in any capacity. I would think, unless you're just a complete AEW loyalist who just thinks punk is there to take down your company. uh, Even though he did some of the best business the company's ever done. And it's only gone downhill since he left uh, except for an occasional pop up here and there, but just consistency wise, punk was the last person that was there on top that was still uh, drawing what they wanted to draw on a consistent basis. So, I don't know, man. I think um, I think Punk coming back would be good. But can he really, really survive in that environment the way it is currently set up, even if him and Tony come to some kind of agreement? I mean, he is obviously speaks his mind. He might not do what he did at a press scrum again. But at the same time, like he's not he doesn't like to play a fool to anybody there. He's not going to put up with this crap. I mean, I, I still don't understand how Tony did not strip these. Like stupid superficial titles over these guys that are currently working on this staff. I mean, it's so dumb at this point that you have, you know, the Bucks and Omega, who are not the biggest drawers in this company, uh, you know, throwing their weight around because of their title. It's just a conflict of interest interest at this point, And they should be stripped and they should. I'm not saying they should lose their jobs or anything no, at this point. No. They should just not be in charge of telling Tony who can and can't come in and who they will and won't work with. I mean, that's just... I mean, how,
1: how is it not looked at as a conflict of interest by anybody else? You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it screams, uh, you know, nepotism or whatever to the highest degree. It's like, you know, these... And so what, Tony? These guys can do no wrong? So just by that, I mean, he's going to divide the locker room even more than it probably already is. The bottom line is this. I... I don't I I'll, again just completely straight up honest we know people who are in the the circle so to speak I don't understand why anybody can't just make some damn money for the love of god guys like get together put your bs at the i'm going to rip rogers here put your bs at the door and just work together make some money if you want to make aew the best possible thing it can be put put all so the scrum happens so you so you don't like this guy nobody likes chris jericho behind the scenes but people are still willing to work with them you know what i mean so just put it all behind you and make some damn money it just seems like a no-brainer to me but i don't understand why it hasn't happened sooner
2: it has it. I, I don't know when they're in Chicago. I, apparently, they're saying they're, the rumor is that Punk might return at their next Chicago show. I know this Wembley Stadium show is not, not booked until the 27th of August, so we'll see what happens between right. now and then. Like I said, they have lost a ton of momentum or time, I guess, if anything, uh, to promote Punk as either the top heel or top babyface or, or however you want to pr- position him and whoever else is on the other side. If it's going to be – like I said, who, who does Punk even – in an eight-man or six-man tag of some sort, it makes sense for Punk to be with the EVPs. In a one-on-one match, the only match that's even, like, credible would be, I guess, Omega versus Punk. But even that really doesn't have a lot behind it because it was really A Steel versus Omega in hey. the fight. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. You know, to me, it's like uh I would be most interested in – uh you know, a six, uh, even a tag with Ace and Punk versus the Young Bucks, or a six man with, you know, Omega on the other side and uh, you know somebody on Ace and Punk side. I don't know, uh, but I know FTR are their friends, so may, you know I don't know how you make that not an eight man. But anyway, I think there's ways to make this interesting and, but really long term, uh, I think that was the problem I had from from the beginning. Is like, okay, let's make some money out of this. Where's the money? Is yeah. it? Uh, is it Punk Omega? Is that a big money yeah. match? Maybe, yeah. maybe one off. I, I don't know. I, Omega has lost so much steam since he started hot with the company. You know these EVPs. I'll give this to them. They were able to do some really cool stuff on an independent level that got them this job with Tony Khan to start this company and to name the company after their their click and all this stuff. They did. They had it going on then. Yeah. They don't now. I mean right. they they've been they've been totally neutralized with. You know, just time, just over, you know, oversaturation. Uh, people coming in that have more experience and are better than them. Uh, you know, I, I think we've said this in the beginning. Even if you like the young bucks, you have to agree they're pretty one-trick ponies. You know, you know what you're you getting. To, they're going. Yeah, yeah. They, they, that's not something that you're going to be able to to sit there and be like, well, they're so multi-dimensional and layered. No, they're not. They, they're, they're, they're promos and they're. Uh, their angles are like sophomoric and like stupid. I, I don't like it. I'm not saying they're not incredibly, uh you know, good at their in-ring. I don't know. Just they're, they're flipping, they're flopping. They, they can do stuff in a match that, that is pretty cool to see for someone that's walking by a television. Like, Oh my gosh, that's cool. But as far as like them having like a real huge money angle with like with, you know, a, a punk, somebody of that caliber. Can you imagine like punk? Versus the Bucks or Omega on a mic off. I mean, that would be like, it'd be like Babe Ruth versus a rookie. You know, it'd be like, it's so, it'd be so weak. And like Punk would have to drop to their level to even make it somewhat like even. And it would be, I don't know. Like that's why when they were going to go with Punk, MJF before all this crap happened, that would have been such good stuff. And now they don't get that anymore because of what happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, time will tell. Time will tell what they're going to cook up for Wembley. Much like anything else in AEW, I don't have a lot of faith in things being organized correctly um, sure. or or booked properly, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to see what develops. I hope they can all come to the table. I hope they can make some money. The big money would be, honestly, to get Punk back. Um, real quick, w- would you get Goldberg if you were Tony Khan?
2: Well, it just... It, it, it... I know, is you, no. I know the what you're saying it. about Goldberg. Like he's obviously over the hill. And but I mean, if it's <laughs> Saudi Arabians will obviously pay Goldberg millions of dollars to give anyone a spear. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is I mean, I'm still saying I, I did a news report today for a radio station. And it was basically I was talking about Mike Tyson and like how he says he still wants to fight he, Evander Holyfield. And the Saudi Arabians have asked uh, have offered him a ton of money to have another fight with Evander. Now, I, that's sort of how I started watching Bellator is like, oh, I want to watch these like old guys that I've heard of fight each other at this point because it's like a car crash. I mean, even though I know it's not top, they're not in their prime, they're way past their prime, but I still want to see what happens when when they're in the ring. So if you told me MJF Goldberg... Uh, do i think it's going to be a five-star classic hell no no would no. i want to watch it just to see it much like i watched the heroes of wrestling pay-per-view back in 1999 or whatever <laughs> yes, i would watch it for that reason <laughs> just because i want to see what happens with mjf and goldberg in 2023 I, I i mean it would be something like that would be interesting that is not that is a far far cry from what we're talking about with punk coming in and and, you know, even Punk-MJF at this point would be a, just out of the blue. Even if it was a cold match, just leading up to it several weeks, them in the, on the mic or whatever, that, you know, MJF could cut a great heel promo on how Punk tried to destroy the company he's building yep. and Punk coming back with, like, some good ammo. It, just that alone would be great. But I don't know. Does Has Tony ever – I was just talking about this the other day. What happened to Wardlow? Like, Wardlow was like – he was like – he was the next oh, Goldberg. Yeah. All of yeah. a sudden, he's like – And even if he's hurt or out of action for whatever reason, like, it's just these people just get dropped so consistently. It's like every time somebody gets to a point, you're like, I think he's going to be the breakout star. I don't see them for weeks or hear about them for months. It's weird. Like this.
1: I mean, Hook was all the rage for like literally four months. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this guy again. Because yeah. he did nothing with it. They're like, he's undefeated. He's coming out, choking out all these people. He doesn't care. Crowd was super into this guy. And now, I mean, they're still kind of in there. But what have they done with him? He's facing what? Lee Moriarty? And you know what I mean? It's, it means nothing. It I just, I laugh. At,
2: I laugh when these people rip on WWE, how they don't know how to use people. And there's great, you know, people rip on, uh, they don't use LA, LA Knight, right, right? And I'm like, okay. You could say that and I'm not saying you're wrong. Oh, they don't use Bray White, right? You could say that. You're not going to But how can these same people just say AEW is great because AEW every time someone gets a freaking fire lit under their ass and they're like huge like and even the people that 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 they said were going to be stars are the people that anyone in the industry would look at them and say like this guy is going to be a huge star, whether it's Wardlow, Will Hobbs, Ricky Starks, like Hook Hook, not based on size, but more just his unspoken charisma. How can you look at these people that they have uh, had in their hand, the crowd was eating it up, and then all of a sudden, it just goes away? So how can I not believe that's the EVPs or Jericho putting the fire out just because they're trying to save their own ass? I mean, I've seen that at WWE 20 years ago. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was people that there were people that were getting really on fire, RBD being one of them, and people that did not want them to be on fire anymore. So they basically got put out really quick. So, you know, it happens all the time, but it just happens very consistently in AEW.
1: I would not put Goldberg on that card. I think it does something for the tickets. I think people would tune in, like you said, to see the car crash, but I think it's just if you want to separate yourself from the competition, don't, they can't do that gimmicky type of stuff. They can't bring in, you know, they already, they already have their old timer with Sting. I would wrap up Sting's career at Wembley, honestly, because he's talked about, he's talked about retiring. I would wrap up Sting's career at Wembley, you know, give him a nice send off and all that kind of stuff, but they don't need, they don't need like a Goldberg. They don't need like Hogan coming out and, dropping a
2: leg on anybody you know or whatever dude that, here's the problem is that, that that crowd of people that you're referring to they're 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 gone most of them are gone the only yeah. ones you can even talk about now from that era that would really consider doing it would be sting who's obviously under contract goldberg who i think still wants to have another yeah guy match and then you know punk And then who else is out there that is like a huge game changer? I mean, that used to be the most fun part of like building into mania back in the day. 20 years ago, there were so many people still in the cards, whether it was, you know, Macho Man was still alive, Roddy Piper, you know, even though these guys were limited physically to an extent, they were still doing it and able to do it and still come in and pop the house. Nowadays, you're to the next level, which is like sort of attitude era guys. And even those guys are getting too old. So now you're getting to the 2000s, guys, and as we know, outside of John Cena, Batista, Randy Orton, some of these guys that were young 20, 25 years ago, when I was there, and are still sort of kicking it around. You know, gone are the Hall and Nash, and and you know, and Jake the Snake, and these guys that could have been like a, a big name back in the late 90s, but now it's uh, now it's done. So you're you're lucky. But if he gets terrible. the Rock,
1: what if he gets the Rock?
2: I – I seriously doubt that would. I mean, yeah, I know. I'm totally it, kidding. If you got The Rock, it'd be unbelievable. And uh, do I think that's even like in the that rock would thoughts? Fi- no.
1: That would fill Wembley Stadium.
2: Oh, of that course. <laughs> what if he got Stone Cold? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Stone Cold. You'd have to be like, you'd uh, have to be Steve Williams. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, you know, I, and, I, those people, I think, are too loyal to WWE and they yeah. have too oh, much yeah. tied in with oh, yeah. them. I but, uh, I, was, You know what? We
1: should start a rumor on this podcast to see how far-stretching our podcast strength is.
2: The becoming. Rock.
1: <laughs> the Rock is coming to Wembley, according to two podcasters. The Rock didn't
2: want to do WrestleMania against uh, Roman Reigns because he was holding out for the Wembley <laughs> show. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. let's start that rumor. All right, Chris, well, we've we've, uh, filibustered enough. Um, I am so, so excited for people. I cannot wait to get the feedback on this. Why don't you go ahead and tell them a little bit more about your interview with Rip Rogers?
2: Yes, Rip Rogers, as we talked about earlier, worked for Central States. He talks about some matches in 1983, but he was really full-time in Central States in 1987. Those were the dying last few years of Bob Geigle's he was still with the nwa at that point then he would move on to the wwa bob Geigel, but rip rogers talks about his time in kansas city talks about all the main players that were here during that time and gives like a very frank conversation about each one of them <laughs> and then he also talks about what 240 dollars will get you back in the day <laughs> and uh, let's see what else and he gives his thoughts on Shane mcmahon's working punch plus much much more rip rogers
1: all right, guys, I can't wait for you to listen to this. This is a, this is Chris Goff's interview with Rip Rogers. And again, please, I can't stress this enough. This is not for everybody. If you have young children, kids, all that kind of stuff, get them out of the room. This is not the interview for them. And we'll see you on the other side after this dynamic interview with Rip Rogers. It's the worst territory.
2: I am joined now by the hustler Rip Rogers, who was in the central States in 1987, but I want to talk about everything about Rip Rogers and Rip. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, so, this this podcast is called the worst territory in the world because a friend of ours, uh, Jim Cornette and uh, Rick Flair and others have sort of really buried Kansas City over the years for multiple reasons. But I do it tongue in cheek because I'm from Kansas City and people that right. were in Kansas City loved. You might as well say Bulldog Bob Brown was, you know, Rick oh, Flair. Yeah. It didn't matter. Yeah. So hey,
0: you got if you're from there and you grew up with that, you fight to the finish for your fucking territory for your fucking heroes. Whether it be Rufus R. fucking Jones or Bob Geigel, Bulldog fucking Bob Brown, guys that homesteaded there, and they stayed there for 25 fucking years, and they might go away in the summer and work the Maritimes or work Calgary or something, or Winnipeg or fucking uh, Vancouver, then they'd come on back to Kansas City, and Geigel take fucking care of you. You got to remember, there's no population in the West. It's true. You got a bunch of farmers and shit. It ain't like you're in the big city, and you've got a million people within an hour's Drive each way, total. You ain't got, you know, there's just not people out there. And then, Geigle had shitty TVs, weak TVs on weak stations. And then, uh, when Vince come in, he just destroyed every fucking territory there goddamn was. And you didn't have to be any fucking good to work for WWE. A lot of times they'd take guys that wasn't any fucking good because they, then they want a threat to somebody. And then they can make a star at anybody with the power of television. You put, you put you on TV and you could be, uh, you squash people for a year fucking straight on TV and you could be goddamn uh, Hulk Hogan. It's all, the wrestling's irrelevant. Uh, Vince McMahon changed the wrestling business. The wrestling business ain't wrestling anymore. And he'll tell you it's not wrestling. And he destroyed all the territories. And it went from about 800 uh, guys in North America make, having a, making a living at this shit. The fucking, just the fucking chosen few. And Vince can make a star out of anybody. Well, you got to be, hey, let's take a, another second generation wrestler. Hey, I know. Uh, let's have my daughter run this. And Shane come by and he can, uh he can uh, Terry's his quad or Terry's knee up or whatever. And he's 50 years old, acting like he's 18. Hasn't been trained, not in goddamn fucking shape. And you knew he was going to hurt. When he got hurt, everybody fucking laughed and said, yay. And if he was, and if he was a quarterback... If, if like her, if Patrick Mahomes events on the team, goddamn Patrick Mahomes, he'd sit out the Super Bowl so fucking Shane could start. <laughs> well, what you know,
2: Shane? You know, Shane was my first real boss when I worked at WWE. He worked I worked for him under New Media, and he's uh, he's quite the athlete, really. But yes, he, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is
0: quite the athlete?
2: I well. You could tell, like, so maybe I, may, if you're going to hold me to semantics, let me, oh, re- yeah. let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it. He was a, uh, I could tell that he grew up a kid that probably got a ton of shit because his dad was Vince. So you could tell he got really tough and started working on, like, chokeholds and, like, MMA-style stuff at an early age. Now, I don't know how he did in, like, prof- you know, like uh, football or sports like this, but uh, I felt that Shane was always, like, uh, a pr- could handle himself in a fight. Pretty well. Uh, he, shot, he
0: throws the worst fucking working punches I've ever seen in my fucking life. <laughs> uh,
2: is that Doctor Tom's fault? I don't know who trained him. I, I don't know who. Oh, worked <laughs> no.
0: Here's the thing. Now, if I got a job with him, how was it? Oh, Shane, he's the greatest ever. You did all oh, you give a shit is is about collecting a fucking check because it's a week you don't have to work at McDonald's or fucking Walmart. Sure, that, that's all it is. is kissing fucking ass and trying not to get and hiding and trying not to get fucking fired.
2: Yeah, well, I got fired by his sister, so I don't know if you have any experience with her, but she wasn't my favorite either. Um, but she, so when you let's go back to Central States for a minute. When you went, when you started in Central States before you went there, I, I believe 1987 was your fir- first time there. What did you think of Kansas City when you were when you started uh, when you heard you were going there when you decided to make the the jump there?
0: Well, it was. Uh, what I did was I'd worked a second stint for Ron Fuller. The first time was at Southeastern. I was there like 11 months. And then that was in uh, late 83, 84. Then I went, went, worked for Oli. Then I went down to work fucking Tampa. But in Kansas City, when I was working for Dick the Bruiser, when I was starting, I remember he worked, had me work Danville, Illinois, drive all night to work Kansas City TV in the morning St. Joe TV that night, then come back and worked against Flair and Dick Murdoch for Sam Muchnick at from the wrestling from the chase. Yeah. And at the time, at the time I was teaching school and on a good week, I'd make one hundred twenty five dollars. I know one hundred twenty nine dollars. And then and sometime then the next week, I'd have to pay teachers dues. I'd make one hundred nineteen dollars. So I was coming back from that and I made two hundred and forty dollars for the weekend. Right. And, uh, are you, uh, uh, triple X or are you PG or what? Oh no, we're, we're whatever.
2: This is this, it doesn't, you can curse all you want.
0: Okay. You, okay. So, uh, so I made 240 bucks for the weekend. I got my dick sucked three different fucking times by three different fucking bitches. And I said, what in the fuck? I went right back to union city, Indiana, where I was a fucking high school teacher and a football coach. I told fish lips, the principal, I said, Hey, Take my sick days, my personal leave days, and after that, I'll come in Monday. I'll work Monday through Thursday, and I'm out of here. So that was that was uh, how I was was going in, in the early days.
2: Well, you're you are quite the wrestling character. I got to be honest. I have never met you, but I really wish I had.
0: I really do. I'm I'm about the most real, most over motherfucker, and you can't fucking break me no matter fucking what. I'm sixty nine motherfucking years old. I fucking tore my fucking shoulder up Monday trying to cut the grass. You know how you pull pulling the fucking uh, trying to start the son of a bitch sure. I and 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 it something popped. I could hardly lift my fucking arm. So I got two. I got a knee that ain't mine, two hips that ain't mine, neuropathy in my motherfucking feet. You fucking name it. But I was at the gym three hours today. Oh, I've seen you. You're still in tremendous shape. I, I I will give you that, man. You you are uh, I, you look great. I, I, And the thing about it is is I I don't don't take steroids. Fuck them. I told them all. Y'all. Can you imagine it getting in 12 contests in fucking 18 months? Clean and clean and winning two and saying fuck you to everybody and all the guys getting mad because they're on the shit. And I tell them about it. And they're fucking losers. And they're all fucking dead fucking soon. They got fucking bitch tits. And whatever you do, it don't fucking count because you're fucking cheating. Fuck you all. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh you ran into my by the way you ran into a uh, central states guy that's one of my best friends I, a couple weeks ago named ace steel
0: oh yeah i like ace right a fucking way great right. guy I, I told me now i i sort of got dementia <laughs> i can't remember shit <laughs> okay. then I'll fucking names and not a face etc guys fucking change, right yeah uh, no, he was over with fucking me. He said, I, I said, you're fucking over with me because he did something to the fucking little fucking buckaroos of, of the Tony Khan uh, little kitty show out there. So he he so he was fucking over with me. He said he was in OBW, but uh, he was in a different class or whatever. So, uh,
2: yeah, he's a he's a great guy. And uh, I, I hope uh, he'll get another job in wrestling someday soon. No, um, I think you. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. But uh I, I know I've talked with you briefly about Bob Geigel, but coming into Kansas City, what did you think of Bob Geigel as a person, as a promoter?
0: Well, I, I knew what I was getting into. I never really made went into different territories as far as financial dis- decisions. That's how stupid I was. I just wanted to work. I wanted to learn their booking system. I wanted to learn what they highlighted in their area. I wanted to see what I could fucking steal and take somewhere else because and I wanted to uh, like I just finished working with Fuller and as soon as I come in, I shot an angle with Adrian Street. I worked with him for six straight months and all the fucking clubs except like three days. Yeah. And then when I got done, as soon as I got done with that, I told Ron Fuller, I said, Ron, I'm out of here it was the thing I did with Adrian was so fucking good and I, I couldn't top it. It wasn't about the fucking money. It was how everything fucking clicked. And then I just, uh, I know I had met Geigel. It's like when I worked for Oli, and, uh, and, uh, McMahon stole the TV time slot. So Oli got the championship wrestling from Georgia in the morning. And I remember Geigel would come in and Jarrett would bring some guys in, And Crockett would bring some guys in and stuff like that, but uh, I known Geigel from then and then because I remember uh, Geigel, he was he didn't know what the fuck to do. He had lost he had lost so much goddamn money, and he said, "Uh, uh, "I want you to book this." I said, "Well, I ain't firing nobody, so uh, that's it." And I said, "And I don't go in the office. No, uh -uh. I do it in my fucking head and at fucking home." And I said, "I'm not interested in your opinion." Because if you, because you've tried everything you fucking thought you knew or whatever, and none of it worked. And, uh, he just sat there and said, yeah, I said, you're, you're trying so hard. You can't think straight. You got to get back to basics. You got to give guys, make them fucking characters and leave the fucking rest of me. So I remember I worked with Brody four weeks in a row. How was that? Uh, He didn't like me. He didn't like anybody that was in the office. Uh, He was a great talent. And and, uh, so the first night we worked some kind of count out and uh, he beat me up for 20 minutes. Right. And I just walked back in. He was fucked up on dope. And I said, I always heard you were pretty smart. And I said, uh, he said, you know, you beat me out there for 20 fucking minutes. You couldn't beat me. People were starting to cheer for me because you look like a bully out there. I said, you're a fucking about six, six or whatever. and has the gimmick boots on tremendous physique, tremendous fucking character. And you couldn't beat me. So you made yourself look like an idiot. He just fucking stared at me. Right. Yeah. But I worked four weeks total with him. And then, uh, I worked with Ox Baker and then uh, I drew more money with Ox because Ox just shut up and did what I told him to do. And then uh, and then Geigel couldn't stand it because he he was wanting a shit and get it match. I said, it ain't fucking happening. I said, this is our fucking roster. Deal with it. And then so Geigel worked an angle and I. Uh, uh, I beat up Ox and handcuffed him. And he's fucking gassed. And giggle makes a comeback on me. And I rip his shirt off. And I worked against Geigle for four weeks. And in the last fucking week, he slid Mike George into the fucking angle, et cetera. Then we had a good house in Thanksgiving. And then he stiffed. Uh, he was stiffing everybody on the fucking money. He didn't have any. He had a great love for him. So, uh. Yeah, he seemed like
2: so. I, I met Geigel when I was just a, little, a teenager. He was uh, okay. at that point. He was running uh, security at this yeah. big racetrack up here that we had yeah. a horse track. Was bulldog there too? It was bulldog, Rufus, Mike, George, and Geigel. All of them. Oh, fucking lovely. It was. Oh, it was great because as a kid and your parents, everyone knew him. So it was like a. It was like a meet and greet every day.
0: Right. That was fucking. That's fuck. That's fucking awesome. Uh, that's like i love working with fucking rufus rufus i know how i know how fucking limited he is sure I, bulldog and i used to ride with the bulldog i went to the maritimes four times and a couple times the bulldog was out there so i made every trip with the fucking bulldog and i'd fucking get in the girls a back seat and i soil all his fucking linens and shit you
2: know, he just had that <laughs> Well, he he sounds like quite the character because Geigel would tell me that he would uh, have him over for Thanksgiving and Bulldog Bob Brown would just shit on all, everything on the table. He would just say like, "This is horrible turkey. The cranberry oh, uh, yeah. sucks."
0: Yeah, you're right. But the thing about it is, it's all a rib. Sure, Bob. He's just it's just to get you. Uh, it's just to get you all wound up about it. But he was good. a great smartass. <laughs> oh yeah, he's fucking. Uh, yeah, the, the bulldog was a, a good fucking river, and then I love Mike. I love working with Mike George. Tremendous, tremendous so, talent. Yeah.
2: So and do you think? Do you think so? Harley Race used to tell me that Mike George could have been a star anywhere if he just decided to the, to leave yes.
0: home, and he didn't. Yes. Because I remember he he got a real good push for Watts, but but Mike was hell. He was a big tough bastard. Everything on him looked fucking legit. He was a fucking light as a feather in the fucking ring. He was a real fucking pro. So he was just, he was really good. He's still, uh, he is still actually
2: working for, uh, like, security for a casino here in Kansas City, Kansas still. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. Not just a few blocks away from Memorial Hall still. And so I talk to him pretty regularly, and he's still
0: doing good. He's a great guy. Yeah. I remember then. Uh, okay, so it was it was Thanksgiving night, and they always drew on Thanksgiving night, no matter what. I said, "Bob, my fucking check bounced." He said, "Don't worry about it, I'll get you tonight." I said, "Okay." So he he snuck out the door, the back door with the money, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I just fucking laughed. The next day we go somewhere. He says, "Where are you at?" I said, "Oh fuck, I'm I'm about an hour from my house in Indiana." <laughs> He said, "What? Oh, I said, oh no, you lied to me. You lied to me. I said, don't ever lie to me. I can handle the truth, but don't lie to me. And you lied to me. So, fuck you. I'm not the bad guy you are, you know.
2: Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, if you stick up for yourself, you have to in that situation. Yeah. So, Ox Baker was from Sedalia, Missouri, and I and I have some old photos. Coal Camp. Oh, he's from Coal Camp. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. But I,
0: is a bigger city, right? Yeah, that's a bigger. Yeah. City. So he's so uh, yeah. So he <laughs> says Sedalia, but he said but it's really Coal Camp. Coal Camp is a is a very small like lake on the way to the Lake City. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he lived he, there was there was three houses in a row. It was like him and his wife, and then like maybe his parents and or brother or what. Anyway, there was three houses, like three identical houses in a row and they were all like the bakers oh that's funny yeah uh he he i I have some
2: footage that i used in a documentary that i did on kansas city wrestling and it's when he was basically introduced in kansas city black and white stuff and he came out of the crowd and he was wearing a baseball hat and he didn't have any facial hair and he's wearing his big thick glasses and they introduced him and he got worked in that way and it's amazing what that guy did uh in his entirety of his career both in wrestling and hollywood and everything else is that shocking to you at all do uh, what now? Is that shocking to you at all that he had such a
0: career? No, that motherfucker could fucking sing. Jesus Christ. What a fucking voice. And then if you seen him, he's such a fucking character. Just looking at him, old Walrus face with the fucking shaved head, how big he fucking was. He was just a total he was just a total fucking gimmick. And then he would try it whenever he tried and bully somebody all you had to do was stand up to him, and he'd cower like a little fucking kid. Oh, I, I was just kidding, you know. <laughs> Foxy Oxy he
2: was fucking great. Hey, but I just came to mind because another guy who was very big, but would probably do that. Did you ever have any run-ins with another guy who was in the central states named the Russian Brute? Now, who was that? I, I don't remember his name. So if you did, if you you would know him, uh, he was in the. He was in the dying days of the AWA, and he he lived around here, and I just I just didn't know if you had known him.
0: I don't know his uh, shoot name, but uh, I remember the I remember the hardest the hardest I've ever been kicked in my life was working TV for fucking Geigel when I was just starting, and it, Alexis Smirnoff kicked me in the chest so fucking hard, and then fucking I remember Murdoch fucking potatoed me. I thought he broke my motherfucking jaw, <laughs> but then. Yeah, I'm thinking I was so rotten. I wasn't even trained. I bullshit my way in and started learning. Oh, wow. That's why I was talking to Murdoch. I told him and, and he says, and I said, you, I said, you fucking asshole. we worked the fucking chase and you busted me, you potato me in the jaw. He goes, I remember you, you moved <laughs> just a fucking, right. <laughs> and I said, I had, I had black hair and an Afro. He goes, yeah, I remember you. I said, you loud motherfucker. He just fucking laughed. One night we was working in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, I was supposed to take the brain buster, right? He said, fuck that. We're doing a roll-up finish. I ain't beating you with no fucking brain buster. You're too fucking good. I just started fucking laughing. And what a, uh, Oh, we was, oh it, was just, it was just, I just fucking loved the Oh, yeah, you can tell.
2: You can tell you love it. Every interview I've ever seen you do, it, you're obviously a, a professional wrestling
0: fan through and through. Oh, I used to, I remember God I, in the early seventies, I go down to the pipe shop in downtown Seymour and they, they used to have so. I bet they had about six, seven, eight magazines out and I'd get all them fucking magazines and buy them all. And I used to have got, when I went to call fire alley club about five years ago. And, uh, when I went there, there was a, a flood in my basement and my, sump pump didn't work i lost everything i ever had since i was born oh man to a flood and that fucking uh whatever you call that black shit you know uh, but anyway i lost my every fucking thing in my scrapbook all the every picture i had wrestling all the fucking programs all my fucking tapes dvds you fucking name it Lost fucking god damn
2: horrible wow yeah such is life could you imagine if that happened to Jim Cornette? That would be a really bad. He'd probably go on a rampage somewhere.
0: Well, you know, he'd come out. and – Yeah, I've seen. I've seen Jimmy beat out the windows with baseball bats. <laughs> uh,
2: I so. love the story about when they made fun of his car getting like destroyed on Raw, and then he uh, and they went home for like a, <laughs> two weeks or didn't talk to anybody from the office because it was his. It was his shoot car, I believe, that got his <laughs> uh, the back windshield rolled into and broken um th- hey did you ever work with colonel de beers another kansas city guy from st oh, joe I, well fucking uh
0: uh the fucking colonel well he was uh trained by uh the ref what uh what's the ref's name the, the old sonny Myers? Yeah, sonny Myers. yeah but but sonny no i was with the colonel out uh with buddy Rose in okay. important okay so yeah the no the colonel was over with me colonel de beers ed waskowski uh Derek Draper, how many different other names did he fucking have? He's I think he's living in Arizona now. I think he was still playing competitive old time softball or whatever a few years ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He he had quite the career. He could never have that gimmick nowadays, but I was glad that he did then. Oh yeah. Well any well nobody could have any gimmick in wrestling a heel could not would be allowed to get heat and say anything so so okay
2: so with that in mind and you talked about how it's all moves now which is true my argument with my friends that talk about wrestling and stuff is like when I was on the riding team I couldn't write anything controversial because they wouldn't allow the fans the TV whoever critics wouldn't allow the heel to get any you know fire at the beginning because they get pissed off and I'm like you got to wait till the end of the storyline because the, the, the baby face wins all the time but they don't let it breathe enough to even t- before they get offended by everything. So I don't even know. Besides power, besides the powerful guy like holding down people, it's really hard to do any kind of sexual angle, uh, racial angle, uh, nationality angle without someone getting
0: offended. So I don't know what else you can really do in any in any movie. You got a good guy, bad guy. The first step is to have the the bad guy bigger than the good guy sure then the bad guy cheats you don't have to say anything you don't have to talk about you don't have to talk shit it's good versus evil is all it is and we've gotten away from that
2: we have i I feel like people don't like the they don't like the heel to ever get any heat anymore it just it without somebody getting offended i just i don't know i can rant about that all day but i just it's it's really hard to have any kind of angles that were great when i grew up could not be used today which sucks but you know yeah uh did you did
0: you, did you sorry go ahead then again anything old is new again because the new audience hasn't seen nothing but shit for how many years 20 that's like you know who Serena Deeb is? Yes, I trained her for years, and, and she, i trained her as a guy to work with all the guys, and I have the guys work like a girl. I says, "Okay, now you're both girls. Now you're both fucking guys. Now you're a, a guy that's two hundred, but and uh, now even though you're smaller, you're working like a. You got to learn to work every situation there is, so you're never flustered. You're always miles ahead of fucking everybody." and everybody I did had our broadways some guys could do 90 had two guys had over 2 hour fucking matches called in the fucking ring and it made sense and i and i taught my i had over i had over 70 people go to wwe etc but they're not, they're not i'm not talking about fucking brock and cena and batista and stuff like that i'm talking about guys that come in and start in a beginners class like uh Uh, like Mondo, the spirit squad, like Johnny Jeter, the spirit squad, sure. Like, like, uh, Santino Morella from fucking Canada. They all lived over them cheap ass apartments would have six guys in a goddamn fucking room. And it was, had the time of their motherfucking lives. JTG. He he was right in there. All these guys. And they got runs. Some of them had 10 year runs in WWE. And they came from the OVW beginners fucking class. fucking
2: Oh, you're known as obviously one of the best. Like, Doc Tom Pritchard is one of my really good friends, and him, you, uh, you know, there's a handful of guys known as the best trainers in the last 30 years. Dr. Tom,
0: what I do, Dr. Tom can explain everything in detail. I'm like a fucking ninth-year-old cussing at you. style, <laughs> And I can make you fucking good now Tommy, he'll stroke your ego and really explain it. I said, "Well, God damn it, do this, you know And and we got completely different fucking styles, but I'm doing like uh, to push you a coach is supposed to, I'm, I'm supposed to do my best to make you better than I ever was. I made all the fucking mistakes and I know what the answers are and I'm going to tell you what they are, but you're not going to understand them until you think what I'm telling you is bullshit. But you're going to see after about ten times of failure that what I tell you is, is the goddamn fucking truth. Yeah, you you remind me yeah, in, in college basketball. You remind me of
2: a Bobby Knight type guy.
0: <laughs> did you say Bobby Knight the same time I did?
2: Yes. Okay. Well, well, well you're I'm from in, in, you're from Indiana, so I guess that's that's yeah. gonna happen. Uh, a couple, few more guys I wanted to ask you about from Kansas City days. What about um, a guy that died? Prematurely, but I thought I, I don't by his look and in the ring, I thought he was going to be something big one <laughs> day. Dave Peterson,
0: yeah, okay, fucking great. Dave, fucking it, it, it. see how I fucking you just start talking and I i, I I I said Bobby Knight. I said uh, Dave Peterson, DJ yeah. Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. He was he he had the look. He
2: was good in the ring. I don't really know if he could talk much. I haven't really seen a lot of interviews with him. But when I see old footage of him when I was younger, I was like, "Who's this guy? Like, why, why wasn't he in the you know the the big leagues?" But uh, yeah, he, he was the park, the, right. He died in a his motorcycle wreck, I believe. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. It was some kind of wreck.
2: Yeah, with the vehicle. I couldn't remember what it was. So, did you ever? Did you ever? Ha- you talked about Sonny Myers earlier. Did you ever meet up with him in Kansas City? Did you ever have him ref oh, one of your matches where he would uh, count with his foot?
0: No, uh, but uh, Uncle Lubich used to do that uh, a lot of. He he a lot of times he would do that in Dallas, and then uh, some guys would would get down, but they wouldn't count with their foot or their hand. They would just count. And they would go one. <laughs> I said, "Lazy, get your ass down here." Then when i now I'm sixty nine years old now all of a sudden I understand they can't get up and fucking down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I'm sure there was a reason for it, but it was I have some footage of, of Sonny Myers doing that. It just makes me laugh every time I see it. Oh, Sonny was funny because he was an old carney,
0: right? Yeah, he's fucking carny. And he's hat, chat 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 talking the shit in the fucking ring, and there, there's nothing better than having a good time in the fucking ring. Fuck, you have some fucking matches, go 30 minutes, and not break a fucking sweat, and people wanting to kill your motherfucking ass. It's just fucking awesome. Did you ever work for Gust Karras? No. I always heard the stories, and I always implied about them, but he wasn't but he was there.
2: Okay. Yeah, obviously Harley owes a lot to him. Uh, yeah. I'm, did you have a – I needed to ask you about the – St. Joe was the midget capital of the world for many years, thanks to Lord Littlebrook. Oh, Yeah. Uh, did, did you have a lot of uh one of his one of his sons is still alive goes by little Cato. um but uh did you have any uh did you but one of my friends told me that on a thanksgiving i think it was 87 had to have been uh you teamed up with little tokyo uh to, in some kind of tag match and he said it stole the show that night i didn't know if that was a regular thing how much you worked with the midgets or how much interaction you had with them
0: well i that's like when i used to be i used to be a part owner in icw in the 80s with randy savage his dad his brother ronnie garvin bob root bob wharton jr so and then we used to get uh all our midgets from little brook you know sure. we get the lula they come in for two weeks and the midgets would come in for two weeks and i can give you violence or i can give you calm whatever you, whatever you got to know how to work the first match through a main event and don't overstep your goddamn fucking bounds and that's what guys don't understand, you know, you know, uh, is ha- know your fucking role. It's like, it's like baseball. I'm the leadoff hitter. No matter what I get, guy get on base. The, sec- the second batter is to either bunt the guy to second or hit, hit behind him to get him to fucking second base. They we got our third and fourth hitters to drive that son of a bitch in. Know your fucking roles and everything. And in, in wrestling guys. I remember we uh remember Rick McCord, he was a good worker. We had been nice.
2: Yes.
0: He owns a limousine. I'm going to be out in uh, uh, for Herb Simmons. Sure. In March or, or May May 13th he has got a big the He's big, got a big show over there in near St. Louis, yeah. I was just in the one in Indianapolis here. This was a yeah, last week uh, it was uh, Friday Saturday. So then I'm coming in for Herb on, on uh the the 13th. Uh yeah, that's that's when it is. Uh what was I fucking talking about?
2: God, damn. Herb was a Herb was a big uh, he's a you know obviously a, a, a disciple of, of Mushnick Mushnik and uh yeah. and Larry Madisick and all
0: those guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh yeah, I have worked St. Louis for like uh we had the last show in what what was what, not the Checker Dome? What was the other one? Kiel? The Keel, the Keel, Keel Center, Keel. Yeah, Brad Armstrong, the last show in the Keel. I remember. Okay. And Brad Armstrong was so fucking good. So Doctor
2: Tom, like I, that, was one of his best friends, and he was obviously shattered when Tom, he died. And
0: Doctor Tom and Brad, they, they were best friends.
2: Yeah, and so uh, everyone – it's so funny. Every good worker says Brad Armstrong was their
0: favorite – one of their favorite workers. It's, it's- oh, yeah. Yeah. He, well, all the uh, – the Armstrongs, they had all those boys, and they were all really good workers. And, and anybody – anytime you have a lot, they were all different little characters. And when you have too many of them in your second generation – you know about the vices of the world more than a guy that's straight going in. Of course I was, a, I was a fucking nerd going in. So, and I wasn't ever, I wasn't a drinker, a smoker, a drugger, or whatever. I was just a fat kid, uh, legit athlete playing, playing sports, uh, high school, college. And then, uh, once, and then we got in me and Randy Savage lived together four years. Wow. And then we had all the weights in in the fucking in the fucking house. And then we saw Kevin Sullivan on Memphis in a physique contest, and he says that's what we're doing. So he we started pushing each other, and then we ended up hating each other because uh, uh, he beat me in the first one, and he never beat me again. And after I, I was hard enough to put him over, right? <laughs> <laughs> Com- competitive, very competitive. Yeah. Yeah, and he was competitive, whether it was push-ups, running backwards, running, uh, walking on your fucking head. No matter what, everything was a fucking contest. Which is sort of good and sort of fucking bad, you know. No,
2: you're right. And lastly, I I don't know how much you had, because I don't think you spent much time at all in Kansas City then, 1987. But just your thoughts on Mr. Kansas City Harley Race. Did you spend any time, much time around him?
0: No, Harley was gone.
2: Did you? Harley, I mean, maybe subsequent to him, did you did you see him in WCW? I mean, did you have any
0: friendship with him at all? Yeah, I remember when uh, I was in the fucking shower, and he come in with that. You know, you had that that zip gun, the zap gun, or whatever. Yeah, t-
2: taser type thing. Yeah,
0: and and he and he's trying to act like he's going to electrocute me, right? <laughs> oh, damn, you know, Harley was the man's man, you know. And, that, and that's all there is fucking to it. Like, he was like the fucking wrestling god, no bullshit with him. Yeah, I remember him, I remember him fucking slamming Andre. Yeah. You know? And uh, before Hogan, yes. And Harley was in the ring, was you never really thought he was hurt, no matter what. That he was just luring you in for the fucking kill.
2: Yeah, he was uh, obviously known as one of the uh, toughest guys, if not arguably the toughest guy ever in wrestling. People will say uh, Haku is another one, but uh, Harley's definitely up there. And he's he's Mister Kansas City. Him and Bob Geigel; those are the two people yeah. that most everyone you know sort of associates here. But uh, well, Rip, it's been great getting to talk to you. I'm, I'm really have uh, enjoyed my conversation. You were one hell of a guy.
0: Well, cool. Last year when I was working with Bob. He was 63 years old.
2: Yeah, how was that? Because Bob, uh, he still kept in pretty good shape. He was a very good athlete.
0: Yes, and I remember going, now when I was in Kansas City, I was 33. Yeah, I was 33 years old. And I'm treating him like he's a normal guy, right? (laughs) And I'm just going full fucking bore. Hitting him fucking hard and everything, right? Yeah. And come on, come on, let's go. And he never backed down. He never said he was fucking tired. He was busting his fucking ass out there, and he was the one fucking paying for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've he talked. Was to like,
2: his, I've talked to his daughter. He he could have played NFL, but wrestling he, paid better, so he did
0: that. That yeah, that's like uh, I used to ride with Ernie Ladd a lot, and, in uh, when I was working for Watts, and yeah. he was about, and I talked with Wahoo about it. I remember Dick the Bruiser when he was playing pro football, and he was making like three thousand to thirty five hundred dollars. Of course, you only got paid during the season, right? Sure. Then you had to fucking get a fucking job, and and all these guys, no matter what, the fucking the wrestling paid better than the fucking pro football did. <laughs>
2: pretty, now, pretty amazing to look back now. But when people yeah. are getting uh, half a billion dollars here in Kansas City,
0: Patrick Mahomes, but yeah, yeah. and I guess if the money wasn't there. They wouldn't offer it to you. And this franchise is still making fucking money. Yeah. So what the fuck? You
2: know? No, it's there now, man. Definitely. Mostly with TV. The NFL has it down. I mean, they can get the, the, because of their schedule and the amount of, the small amount of games. uh, You know, it's a, it's a big, heavy, it's easy to see why it's the best sport in, in America. So,
0: well, you know. It's like uh, baseball when you got 162 fucking games, you can't get too excited about something.
2: Marathon. It's a total marathon. You're right. And remember when the
0: fucking, uh, was it, uh, uh, what's his face, bro- uh, Peyton Batting's brother? Eli. Yeah, it's like Eli. Remember they had teams that were basically even going in and they made the fucking Super Bowl, right? Yeah, we beat uh, Brady twice. Yeah, they just fucking. Uh, Uh, football is just fucking now, but now, excuse me now, but you know how we always fuck the games up now on every pass play. They're looking for a flag. It seems like. Oh yeah. 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 Over penalty. Yeah. Yeah. It it used to be kill the kill the other team's quarterback and you'll win. Now they don't want you to touch the quarterback because he's the most marketable player and that's who they're paying the most. And it's, well, don't hit, basically don't hit him, you know, I don't (laughs) know. That's why it's hard to compare
2: uh, yeah. even Brady or Mahomes to someone that played in the 60s because it's just right. completely different.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas guy, you know. We but, had but Len Dawson. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the AFL more than the NFL, and I like the ABA more than the fucking NBA because <laughs> they're the ones that uh, they would change the fucking rules and they had the better players, but they were more convicts it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
2: well, I mean, Len Dawson, you talk about, uh, we had him, and he would end up, uh, you know, he would have to get a second job, ended up being like a sportscaster in Kansas City for years. Well, for years,
0: when I was a kid growing up, this is before the Andrews, Andy Metz division, what was that, 74, something like that? Yeah. In all the sports, the guys would get jobs as soon as the season was over. <laughs> they all sold cars, sold insurance, or whatever, because they had to fucking eat.
2: Sure. It's pretty amazing how it's changed.
0: Now, the how old are you? You sound like a fucking youngster.
2: I am forty-five.
0: I wish I was forty fucking five. Yeah, that's
2: that's what I yeah. You know, I'm gonna say that too
0: one day. I wish I was twenty-five, but yeah. Well, who does everybody wishes is. Well, when you're twenty-five, you're, you're sort of stupid, but you don't. Yeah, I wish I had today's knowledge and I'm back to twenty-five. Well, yeah, yeah. I, well, everybody does that, you know. <laughs> It'd be fucking destroyed because you could be a 25 year old with no because then you're really fucking dangerous <laughs> uh,
2: that's true well Rip thank you very much for joining me I'll have to do this again sometime it was great to meet you man
0: alright just give me a ring and then remind me whatever blah 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 because I can't remember nothing thank you very much man alright have a good one you too it's the worst time-
1: all right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world. And I'm I'm grinning from ear to ear because I can just see the, the open-mouth expressions at the people at home that were just like, What did we just witness? But man, I'm telling you, in in between the F-bombs, there was some really actually great nuggets. Obviously, a professional wrestling Rip Rogers knows a lot, he's been there, done that. He's just a straight shooter, and that's not something you come across a lot in wrestling. He's not gunning for a hall of fame ring. He just tells it as it is. And I think that's what made that interview so dynamic.
2: You know, when I used to work in sports broadcasting full-time, my favorite people to interview were the older guys that did not give a crap about anything anymore. Right. They didn't have to, they weren't worried about their next job. They weren't worried right. about their social security. <laughs> they were not worried about their health insurance at this point. Uh, the guy that comes to mind quickest that I love to interview was Dick Vermeule and he didn't curse as much as rip rogers but he definitely said things that you would not hear a regular coach say in their you know when they're 35 45 years old so uh i love it when guys hit that point in their life where they're like you know what i'm done kissing ass and maybe rip rogers was like this from the beginning it sounds like he might have been yeah. or he was hiding it for a while uh, until he could have a little bit more of a foothold on in the you know the sport but uh you know i love that he was a lifelong fan I love that he has so much passion for it still. He still loves it like me and you and everybody else listening. Uh he wants it to do well. He's pissed that they're not doing a better job, which most of us are anyway. Uh I don't know how Rip Rogers podcast isn't up there with Jim Cornette because I feel like anything with Rip Rogers uh, on a weekly basis would be funny. But um but yeah, I you know, I there were several times where I had to uh, you know, basically mute my mic because I had to laugh to the side because like he was so entertaining to me that um, especially like when I said, when he said what he used for his $240. Yeah,
1: oh my gosh. I'm uh, outside, I'm outside working on a chicken coop and my father-in-law looks over <laughs> at me. He goes, what in the heck are they talking about? And I was like, well, this guy, you know, went into it, but yeah, what a great oh, man.
2: It was it was so much fun, and I hope to have him on again. Um, I want to I want him to be on again at some point, just to absolutely. talk about anything. I, he could talk about you know drying paint. I don't care. It'd be it'd be hilarious. But thank you to Rip Rogers, and we hope to see him again soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely, thank you so much, Rip, for uh, joining us. That was an amazing interview, Chris. It is that time, but this time you don't get to pick your menu again. I am going to give you just one item, and this week's item is Easter eggs. Okay. Goff, you are going to reach your hand into the proverbial Easter egg basket. Now, when we talk about Easter eggs on DVDs, movies, all this kind of stuff, it's like threads. Maybe, maybe a little something that, you know, hidden messages, something that people didn't know. So in that vein, what do you think is a good Easter egg and or the best underrated match in WWF history? So something that people don't talk about, it's not like, when, it's not the hell in the cells, is but it is just a match that you feel can define, you know, a period, a moment or whatever.
2: Gosh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I mean, if I would go back to something like that, it would go back to my, um, probably more my childhood. Um, some of the matches that I thought were, you know, I thought, man, I, you know, like the first Royal Rumble on pay-per-view was a huge match to me. Um, And it gets talked about not as much because the eventual winner, Big John Studd. Yeah. yeah. Around for another, like a cup of coffee and then he was gone. So, of course, looking back, it's like, why the hell did Vince put it on Big John Studd? But uh, he obviously had higher hopes. And I guess John didn't really want to stick around for what he wanted to do but uh that match and that pay-per-view in general i feel like doesn't get a ton of love because of the big john stud win um but it had i I believe i'm trying to remember the whole card that was the rick rude ultimate warrior pose down which also oh yeah he no sold the like spray to the face which Uh dumb too but uh and there's just there's another tag match in that that was really great I, I love that pay-per-view and that and I don't think it gets a lot of love. I also think growing up that all the, the first five or so WrestleMania's or six, I'd say, got a bunch of uh got a bunch of publicity. And then you went into what I consider some somewhat of a darker period from like seven to twelve. Like I feel like those didn't get nearly the rub that one through six did. And so as a teenager, I had to go back and watch WrestleMania seven and eight to really appreciate mostly eight if i could say that that's the one where you know flair and and macho yeah and uh and that was like i don't think that i mean because it was the double main event with was sid and hogan right and it was it was was it hogan and sid yeah yes yes it was it was was macho and macho and flair which was by far the best show being a match on the card oh by far I feel like that doesn't get as much love as uh, some of the other WrestleMania main events because, I don't know, business was sagging then. Uh, Flair was sort of an outsider to the WWF world. You know, uh, Randy was, you know, getting close to wrapping up his in-ring career for WWE at least. And uh, I don't know. They're, those are my first come to mind. Like, what what do you have?
1: So one of the ones that came to my mind was, okay, and I, and I kind of, I was in the... In my dark ages during this period, it was probably actually maybe when you were employed. So you can tell me if this match rings a bell to you if you were employed at that time. But I was hitting the bar a lot, so I wasn't watching a lot of wrestling. <laughs> um, but the first match that came to my mind in the pantheon of uh, ruthless aggression or kind of when um, violence was at a peak, I watched this match a couple years ago and was completely floored jaw was on the floor. It was insane. Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle.
2: Oh, the king of the ring.
1: Dude. I was like, oh, this is... I I, I think I said... I texted my brother and I said, have you seen this match? And he was like, I don't think so. I was like, that match is one of the most brutal matches I've ever seen. Death match or otherwise. Like, it was unreal brutality. But it was a really good match. Like, and I don't think... You know, there's all, I mean, people did talk about it, but I don't think it gets as much love as it should because Shane was nuts in that match for taking some of those bumps that he did. Like-
2: So I had to to defend Shane this week, as you heard me talk to Rip Rogers. Yes, (laughs) He he thinks Shane, he does not have high regard for Shane McMahon. Uh, But I, Shane in his, like, Shane is the last person that wants to take I know this seems sort of hypocritical because what I'm going to say is he is not the kind of guy that wants to take any shine off anybody else on the roster, but he also understood that being a quote unquote McMahon meant something on the card, especially in the Attitude Era. It was like a huge thing. If your last name was McMahon, you're going to be in a main event type level spot. So he would do like an incredible – he got known for incredible bumps. And so, of course, he always had to one-up himself falling off like the Titantron or whatever. Oh, my God. But uh, but that match with Kurt Angle, yes, I was working there because that was right before I went to the writing team because uh, that was King of the Ring 2001. And that's when, um, you know, uh, when Kurt Angle kept suplexing him into the yes. glass that it wouldn't break. Yes. And Shane uh, took it two or three times before it yes. actually like went down. Um, like he ended up, uh, like I kept worrying that he was going to hit the glass and fall and hit his head, you know, like, because it was just so brutal and knowing Shane, he's going to break the glass. And then afterwards, Vince McMahon was so pissed because the person that was supposed to put it, I can't remember the story now. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but they thought that the one that they kept, th- that the one Kurt kept suplexing in was the breakaway glass. And it was not, it was a different panel. And so I don't remember if Vince was mad at the person that didn't put the right panel in the right place or Shane and Kurt not sort of knowing which one to go to. But either way, it was it was supposed to break away and it didn't. And uh, somebody, you know, Vince was pissed that night, of course, because he was worried about his son and, you know, continual bashing into it by Kurt. But uh, that that is a that is a brutal match to watch, especially that part.
1: I mean, I now I was really blown away, actually, by both of their performances, honestly, but especially Shane. And I was like, man, people don't really talk, you know, because Shane's done so many, like you said, the crazy Titan Tron bumps and Hell in the Cell bumps with crash pads underneath it, all that other kind of stuff. But that was I think that was his match. That was his match of like, I can lay it down. And yes, Rip, you're totally right. The worst working punch. In the history of professional wrestling,
2: there <laughs> well, is like I said, is that Dr. Tom's fault because Dr. Tom's one to help train him.
1: Yeah, but exactly. I'm,
2: I'm joking; it's not Tom's fault. But
1: but, and I got to correct you punch real punch is quick. Hard. I I got to correct you real quick because I, I I looked it up while you were talking about it. Uh, 88 was the first Royal Rumble, and it was won by Jim Duggan.
2: Okay, but that wasn't on pay per view. See, the oh okay, the 88 okay. Royal Rumble was on USA Network, and Jim Duggan won that the first Royal rumble on pay-per-view was in 89 Nine, and, and big John stud, big John Studd, which of okay. course like had been big several years before had sort of went MIA. This was his big return. They had this big pomp and circumstance. And when he won, it was like, ah, 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 ah. you know, it was like, <laughs> no one cared. And uh, then okay. he's gone. So it was like, wow, what? that was like one of Vince's like big, like, you know, bloopers of like pushing someone that really, he got nothing out of that win, Uh, You know? So, but, yes.
1: Um, That's interesting I, that Duggan won the the one on USA. Like, again, another guy that it kind of never went anywhere.
2: No, yeah. I mean, he was always just a good – he was like the uh, – he was like the 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 bushwhackers of the single division, you know. He was like always there. He had a nice little program with Macho Man as he was king. Hacksaw saw Jim Duggan there for a while, and he took that from. Macho. Oh yeah, but I remember had, that. And he had some good pay per view matches with Demolition. And he was in that six man, and he had some good stuff. And he, but he was just the perennial, you know, baby face mid card guy that was always happy, and the kids loved him, and he sold merch, and you know, he's still that today. He still plays the same guy but uh, i I
1: really thought you were going to choose some demolition (laughs) matches as um because there are some really fine demolition matches that that don't get talked about a lot.
2: Well, it's funny you bring that up, because another reason why I think uh, Royal Rumble 89 is good is because that was the first time they had, number one was Axe, and number two was Smash. And they had to go out and fight each other, the first two people in the Royal Rumble. That's right! I remember that! So they played the first music, and Howard Finkel, and this booming voice, introduces Demolition Axe, and then here comes Demolition Smash. And of course, everybody's like, well, you know, Ventura's still there. And he's like, well, what are they going to do? They're going to fight, aren't they? And so... Those two fought and had to like beat the crap out of each other because you at at that point it was you know everyone was still like gunning to be the 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 winner of this rumble man is a bit furthering their career you know so they would still they weren't going to just sit back and be friendly partners they were going to fight and so. Um, that was uh, that was another reason why it made me think of Royal Rumble 89, but Demolition had some great matches. They were a great working tag team. Great I, tag team. I always argue with people like I know LOD had the LOD pop and all that, the Road Warrior pop, but Demolition, better working team by far. Um, I don't think they were even comparable. I do think the Powers of Pain were a complete ripoff of LOD I don't think demolition was. And, uh, you know, I demolition don't think demolition
1: was either, honestly. I, I really, I, I don't. I think it was another
2: good thing. Shane McMahon match that I think's not really underrated necessarily, but uh, I loved him and Vince McMahon. Uh, WrestleMania yeah. 17, uh, when he did the Van Terminator, he has practiced that for a long time at the uh, studio. And when he was able to connect uh, pillar to pillar like RVD with that trash can on his dad, I mean, it was, I, I don't know. Like, I, Shane was a friend of mine then. I, I loved Shane. He was my boss. I thought he was great. And I thought he, and if you knew Shane, you knew he wasn't like a huge a hole. He was not a guy that was like clamoring for fame. He didn't need it. He had plenty of money. His wife is loaded. It's, it didn't matter. He just loved the business so much and he loved being a part of it in any way. And um, I don't know, when I see people, when I hear people laughing about him tearing his quad and stuff, and like I sort of defended him with Rip before Rip just shredded him. But uh, I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, I feel bad because I I know the real Shane and I know that uh, what he really feels about the WWE. And he- and that, that
1: that was one of the points in the interview where I was like, oh, this is getting, like, it was it was almost his his
2: attitude towards you was almost confrontational. He was because he was saying, I didn't want to get fired, that's why I said he's good <laughs> because I didn't want to work in McDonald's, which. At the time, and I brought up, well, his, his sister fired me, so, you know. Um, but I, I don't have anything good to say about her. I don't know if you have anything to say about her, Rip, but I don't like her either. And uh, he didn't say anything. But, um, but no, Shane, he um, he does not like Shane. And, yeah, Rip did not let, take nicely when I said he's a good athlete. As he said, semantics-wise, I really meant I think Shane is a pretty tough mf I really I did. agree. I, i agree. Uh, I mean if you met shane you would see that he could probably i think shane still at this point could probably beat up most of the locker room uh yeah. not brock and people like that of course but i mean uh the people that i think shane is a big has been underestimated his whole life in that regard so um you know but i digress shane and kurt angle from king of the ring 2001 that's a good match. match all right so uh Chris, why don't
1: you tell us what's uh, coming up? Do we have anything coming down the? Are you working on some uh, exciting yeah.
2: interviews? I'm playing. I'm playing hit and miss with Curtis Hughes, but that's going to come soon because I would just uh, and also some other guys that I want to talk to. I've been t- I've, obviously I want to talk some more. N.W.L. Uh, yep. Jeremy Wyatt, Michael Strider. Those are two guys that I've been like saying, hey, at some point you need to be on here. Yep. Uh, Dak Draper talk to the Regal Twins. They want to do stuff, uh, and then some other mother other guys that are here for like central States area stuff. Uh, I don't know. You Gabe, you definitely weren't around when he was here, but I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but uh, there was a Metro pro champion. He worked for Harley, went to Japan, big guy. His name was, he went by the ring name of bull Schmidt. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, he is, uh, I've talked with him. I'm going to be talking with him too. He has a lot of insight on Harley on Japan, on central States and sort of that early two thousands period And uh, I've been trying to track down Trevor Murdoch, too, because he's another guy who I've worked with. Oh,
1: man, that would be great
2: over a decade. And he's he's obviously had a resurgence in his career in the last few years. So um, I want to get his thoughts on just, you know, being a being a guy from the Midwest and he's still doing it in his 40s. So that's good stuff. But, yeah, plenty of guys that we can talk to uh, through the years of Central States wrestling. And in fact, my friend today said, you know, you need to get you need to get the Reverend Slick. Oh of yeah, he was he started managing in Kansas City and there's a long rumor that he is the son of Rufusard Jones but hey. I know that you have said that's not true, correct? Oh
1: uh oh uh, yeah, it, he is not the biological son of Rufusard okay. Jones. Okay, okay. And I would love to talk Hey, let me get in on that interview with Slick. I got something to say about his sister.
2: <laughs> I, uh,
1: I got something yeah. to say about his sister. But um yeah, that, that sounds, I mean, there's, I, you know, and please go, if, if, you know, if we haven't told you, we haven't told you so far this episode, go like and subscribe our YouTube page. Also, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Leave us some feedback. Tell us uh, what, we're, what what you like about the podcast. Heck, even tell us what you don't like. And, uh, you know, uh, it really helps us get noticed. And also, don't forget to uh, oh, interact with us on our Facebook page. That's what I was, yeah, was going to say.
2: The, the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash worst wrestling or look up uh, worst territory in the world on Facebook. Um, we're up to about 500 people now. Yeah. And I'm looking great. forward to like, you know, like I, I just posted the Casey on the Mad documentary on there, which yep. is on YouTube and it's been there for years, but I want people to see that so see they can, if you haven't really been around very long to know some of the early, early history, the Orville Brown years of the late forties and all that through through basically the late 80s um that's a pretty good documentary uh, at least the interviews of the guys that are no longer with us they're they're interesting to watch uh but yeah i want to have more interaction with everyone there and gave yeah. too on that that facebook group because uh, i think there's a lot of people that are going to be liking the podcast and, uh, and also video clips and other stuff we can put up there that have to do with uh, central states
1: yeah, I was gonna put up a poll here pretty soon and uh, get you know get some more interaction. But yeah, interact with us, interact with us on all those social media platforms. We really appreciate the support. It's actually been bizarrely amazing that everybody is really really enjoying this podcast and how many people have asked me, hey, you know, can I get it? You know, the guys I still work with. You know, how many oh can i come on the podcast you know can can this person be interviewed you know there's there's a lot of love for us out there so it's been pretty amazing golf so we'll we'll see what the future holds but uh, we appreciate all your love and support uh chris any final thoughts or are we going to sail into the sunset now
2: yeah it's time to go i hope you enjoyed rip rogers and uh we'll we'll bring (laughs) him on again and uh you guys are gonna now you can take the earmuffs off your kids now
1: yeah absolutely well thank you so much for joining us right here on the worst territory in the world we will see you next time bye-bye
2: it's the worst territory in the world